In 2010, I made my second trip to the UK, to England. I was with a group of people that were helping a church in northwest England in Longton and uh, the Preston area up near Manchester and Liverpool and that part of the country. It was my second time in England. I had gone two years before. And on this trip, on these trips, we worked hard uh, for, for about six days, and we had one day where they did something with us. And I remember in 2008, they took us to play golf. It was probably the only time in my life I was disappointed to play golf. Because if you know one thing about me, you know that I love this sport called soccer. Well, it's called soccer here in the United States of America. What's it called everywhere else in the world? Football. You got that right. (laughs) And I was like every other American. I, I kind of loosely followed the team that had been popular for all of those years, probably for like the 30 years prior to just recently, a team by the name of Manchester United. I can hardly say it now. It was kind of like everybody else in the world following the Dallas Cowboys, right? It was just the team that you followed. It was the most popular team, and they had been successful. They've won more of the titles in England than any other team still to this day. And I remember hearing these guys on Saturday afternoon say, hey, we need you guys to to get some of these jackets in the closet there and get some of these scarves. And they handed us a couple of these scarves. They said, we're going to a football match I was like, yes. And I didn't care at that point in time whether we were going to a practice or a match. or It didn't even matter to me. I just wanted to do something in regards to football. This game that I'd grown up this, with, this game that I loved, this game that I played from about eighth grade on, I loved it and I wanted to see it and I was so excited about it. But to be honest with you, there was a little part of me that was like, Liverpool? Oh, man, okay, I guess. I guess. Because I had been a fan of Manchester United. And I remember them saying on the hour drive to Liverpool, this is going to be one of the greatest experiences of your life. And I'm sitting back in the backseat of the car going, yeah, right. Sure it is. Sure it is. And I remember that I I sent my best friend text messaging was kind of like iffy still back then. And so I sent my best friend an email and I wanted to see if he would respond because he was a bigger fan of English football than I even was. And I knew that he would be able to tell me something about it. And I I, uh, emailed him and I said, hey, Brian, um, I'm in the backseat of a car and I'm sitting five minutes outside of Anfield, this historic stadium in Northwest England. And we're about ready to go in and we're about ready to watch Liverpool play a soccer match. And he responded immediately and he says, your life is about to change. And I was like, you are so melodramatic. Come on, man. Really? Seriously? My life's about ready to change? He was right. I walked in and I was so overcome with the crowd of people who were there. And the match hadn't even started, and I realized that every seat was filled. Yes, this was before COVID. Every seat was filled. It was shoulder to shoulder. We were about 15 rows back from the pitch. And I remember watching some of my favorite players, Steven Gerrard and Luis Torres and Daniel Johnson, among others, it was amazing to see these guys in person, like right there. They were right there. I remember thinking that day that the the football itself wasn't that great. It was a 2-2 draw. But I was enamored with this. 
And they hadn't even kicked off. The first whistle hadn't even been blown yet. And the people in the crowd started singing on cue this song. And I've described this in other messages before. This song that is a show tune song. And they sang every word of it. Jerry and the Pacemakers, You'll Never Walk Alone. And they sang it before the first kick at the top of their lungs. And as the crowd rose, as the noise rose, I remember the words to the song because my dad used to play this song on the radio all the time and probably on eight tracks and cassettes he played it. And I remember that song and I began to sing and I looked around and everybody in the crowd was holding up these silly scarves, cheering on their team. The match hadn't even begun, and they were holding these and singing at the top of their lungs. And I was like, what in the world is going on? I had never seen anything like that. I had heard about it, and I had seen it in college, but I hadn't seen anything like this in a pro game. And then the chants began, just like Brian told me. They began, they started chanting at the top of their lungs. And to be honest with you, I can't do a lot of the chants, nor would I sing the songs, but I can't do a lot of the chants because it wouldn't be appropriate for church, all right? So I'm just saying. They knew everything about the game, and I watched the most intelligent sports crowd that I had ever seen. All the ideas of all the, the rowdiness of the crowds was gone, and I watched a group of people totally following their team. And to be honest with you, I was a bit mesmerized. And I came back and I thought, man, I don't, I don't know about this team. I might be able to move from just a fan of football and kind of a fan of like any team that I got to see to someone who would follow a team. I got back in the car and these pastor friends of mine that took us, they're like, well, did you get saved? <laughs> I was like, I'm not sure yet, but I liked what I saw. I liked what I saw. My friend was right. My life began to change in a really materialistic way. I get that. But I had seen something that I had never seen before. And I remember years later thinking about that moment in my life in 2010 when I heard the story once again every year like we hear this time of year about Jerusalem and when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And I remember thinking that I was a little bit like some of the people who were in Jerusalem When Jesus came into Jerusalem, I began to sing the songs. I began to to say the chants, the ones that I could say, right, that were appropriate. I I began to, to follow this team that I saw playing there on the field. And it was the rise of the crowd and the energy that existed there in that stadium in Anfield, that amazing historic stadium. And it reminded me a little bit of what might have happened in Jerusalem, to some of the people who had gathered. You see, Jesus had just been talking to his disciples about the kingdom of God, something that they didn't quite understand, maybe until right up to the end. 
He was talking to them about the fact that their, their home is not this earth. Their home is heaven. And, and everybody would have come into Jerusalem. Pilgrims would have come in from everywhere this time of year because they were celebrating Passover. And on that day, what the people did was a bit of a, a callback to how God instructed his people back in the Old Testament to celebrate the fact that someone had won and that God was conquering. But it was confusion a little bit that day. In fact, uh, we're going to see today that there were three types of people. There were kind of three groups of people that existed that day in Jerusalem. When Jesus came in to Jerusalem on that donkey, there were the followers and there was the crowd. And then there were those who were opposed to Jesus. It's interesting because this is one of the accounts that all four Gospels have. Not all of the things that happened in Jesus' life do we see repeated in all four of the Gospels. But this is one of them. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, as we begin Holy Week and begin this series called Raised to Life. I want you to see what happened there in the crowd, among the people, among many of these pilgrims, among many of the people who lived and did their life in Jerusalem, and among those who were true followers of Jesus. And as we're talking about these three different groups of people, the followers, the crowd, and the opposition, I want you to picture yourself and find out maybe where you fit into these three different groups of people. Luke chapter 19, 37 to 38. As he was drawing near, Jesus had been outside of Jerusalem in Bethany and Bethpage, and now he was coming in on that donkey as he instructed his disciples to go get. Already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples, this is the followers, they began to rejoice and they began to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. I'm going to come back to that phrase in a moment because that's an important phrase, I believe, in this triumphal entry of Jesus. And they said this, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. See, the followers of Jesus that day began to rejoice and they began to give Jesus glory because they had seen his mighty works. Now, the followers of Jesus, they rejoiced correctly. They rejoiced with authenticity. Theirs was not a, a false praise. It was birthed from something deep within because they had seen the works of Jesus, and they had been changed by him. And so Jesus' followers, they were rejoicing in many ways uh, for, the, for the right reason. Uh, they were rejoicing because they had been witnesses to Jesus' life. They were rejoicing because they knew that he fit the description, the real description of the true Messiah. They were rejoicing because 
what Jesus had talked about with the kingdom and the earthly kingdom versus the heavenly kingdom and loving people rather than judging people and a relationship versus rules. All of this, even though it may not make made total sense in their minds, it was beginning to kind of come together. You know how when you're putting a puzzle together and you're, you're like 90% of the way there and you're like, all right, I'm seeing it now. I'm seeing the picture. It was beginning to make sense. And so they rejoiced correctly. But what was going on behind the rejoicing and the worshiping of the one who was coming into Jerusalem as the soon-to-be conquering king the soon-to-be hero, what was going on was the crowd's voice was beginning to rise. Matthew records this in Matthew 21, verses 8 and 9. Check this out. Most of the crowd, it says most of the crowd, spread their cloak on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You see, the Jewish people, they they knew that palm branches and sometimes uh, other branches from other trees represented a feast that they had set up years and years and years earlier called the Feast of the Tabernacle. It's also called the Feast of Booths. It became known as the Feast of the Booths as time went on. And what they would do is they would gather branches from certain trees to commemorate the period of time that they were in the desert and they had to set up these tabernacles, these tents where they would worship God. And over time, branches of trees became little booths. That's why it became called over time the Feast of the Booths. And so as they heard the true followers of Jesus, the crowd, some of whom didn't really know Jesus, they began to chant, and they began to rejoice, and they began to sing the songs and and worship God like the followers of Jesus did, but they didn't really know, listen church, I want you to hear this, they didn't really know what they were doing, they rejoiced the right person, but the crowd, they rejoiced for the wrong reasons. Most experts believe that the people of Jerusalem, because of national pride and cultural pride, they wanted a leader. Listen, I want you to hear this. They wanted a leader that, who would restore their cultural norms, which had been taken away by the Romans. They wanted a leader who would come in with nationalism and rule with a strong fist and do the things that that they thought were best. And so when they heard Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, when they began to hear the true followers of Jesus give these cries, they joined in, and in doing so, they projected upon Jesus what they wanted, and that was a national and cultural and, and, and uh, you know, military and political savior. Jesus knew that that's not what they really needed saving from, didn't he? He knew his mission. And I believe the followers of Jesus, maybe they didn't quite understand all of it, but they knew his mission too. And so the crowd, they rejoiced, but they rejoiced for the wrong reasons. They were just following the crowd. Have you ever been there? 
I remember there being there one time at camp. It was the end of camp, and somebody did this kind of call for a decision. And I, I remember looking around and thinking, you know, when the, when the pastor or the, the leader at the end of the camp said, hey, I want everybody to come down here who's made a decision for Jesus, which I had done years earlier. But I looked around, and I thought, I'm going to be the only one sitting in my seat if I don't follow the crowd. Like, I'm, I'm going to be the one weird guy who's just sitting there, and everybody's going to be like, man, he must really, really be far from God. Man, he must be evil with a capital E. So I went down, and I just followed the crowd. I remember one of our very, very, very first church services as Hilton Head Allen Community Church. Uh, I, I asked for people to raise your hand if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior today. And I remember one guy who I'd gotten to know pretty well over the previous six months. He raised his hand. I went up to him later. I said, hey, I didn't know that you hadn't made a decision. He goes, oh, dude, I made a decision for Jesus a long time ago. I just felt bad for you because nobody else was raising their hand. So I just raised my hand too. <laughs> That's either a really good or a really bad friend right there, isn't it? You know? <laughs> You see, sometimes we make emotional decisions for God because of the crowd. Some of those people in Jerusalem were part of the crowd, the rise of this crowd, the rise of this chant for this new leader that they had probably heard about, this rabbi who was preaching a different message but was good and did these amazing things and these miracles. They had heard the stories some of them were following him and decided to, to, to begin to, to join in in the chants and the songs and the praise because they thought it was the thing that they had to do. Some of you grew up in a religious home where following Jesus, you felt like you didn't have a choice at all in the matter. So becoming a true follower, being raised to life was something that you just did because you knew that it would check a box on your parents' scorecard. And so we can follow Jesus for the wrong reasons. We can project on him how we think that he should save us like many in Jerusalem projected on him that they needed saving politically and nationally and culturally and in all these other ways. And we can do the same thing like I'm going to follow Jesus because he'll get me out of the mess that I made for myself. And he might do that. But more than likely, he's going to guide you through the mess you made for your life. The crowd rejoiced, but they rejoiced because of that ripple effect that they heard, and they got excited, and the people thought the Messiah would rescue them in a way that they thought. And so my question to you today is, are you following Jesus, or are you just following the crowd? Because if you're following Jesus because you're following the crowd, then I want to suggest that maybe you aren't really following Jesus at all. Maybe you're just a fan. Maybe you're just a fan. Maybe you just like the thought of Jesus. Maybe you just like the idea of church. But my question to you is, are you truly following him? Are you following him because someone you feel like is expecting you to do that? Are you following Jesus because the crowd's movement and the momentum and the, the praise is just there? 
You're probably just a fan. I'm not suggesting that you're not saved. That's not at all. If you'd made a genuine uh, commitment to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, then believe me, you are saved and you have the hope of heaven. But you know, when we are raised to life, when God takes us from darkness to light and from certain death to certain life, there is a cost involved in becoming a true follower of Jesus. I learned something that day at Anfield in Liverpool, England. First of all, I learned that at the end of the match, I wanted to buy a jersey. So I took my money and I went and I asked for a jersey at one of the little booths there. And the lady goes, you want a what? And I said, I want a jersey. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I said, I want a jersey. I want one of the team jerseys. She goes, you mean a team shirt? I also found out that jersey doesn't compute in UK English, right? Jersey's a vest, all right? So they weren't selling vests that day. So I learned something about the UK version of English, and I learned that if you're in England and you want to buy one of the jerseys, ask for a shirt, team shirt. Okay, there you go. But also figured out that I like this team. I like this club. That I really hadn't been a follower of Manchester United. But this is the team that I wanted to follow, and I wonder if there are people There were people there in Jerusalem that were part of the crowd and they got into it because they were following the crowd. I wonder if at some point in time they had a heart change about Jesus. Maybe they began talking to some of those true followers about the stories that they had experienced and the experiences they had and the things that they had learned and maybe they were compelled then in their heart to follow him. There's also this other group of people there in the crowd. Maybe you're a part of this group. Maybe you're a part of the group that's mentioned in Luke 19, verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd, the Pharisees in the crowd, they said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They pointed him out. These religious leaders pointed him out and said, Jesus, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus answered them with this, I tell you, if these who are crying out were silent, the very stones would cry out. Maybe you find yourself in the group that's opposed to Jesus. And here's what Jesus was saying when he said that. When they said, rebuke your disciples, tell them to quiet down, Jesus. And he answered in this way, I tell you, if they were silent, the earth would cry out, the stones would cry out. This, what Jesus was saying, listen, I want you to hear this, church. What Jesus was saying was this was going to happen. This was God's will. It was his plan from the beginning. And why don't you get on board? If you're in that group of those who've been opposed to Jesus, man, at some point in time, the whole earth is going to shout Hosanna to the King of Kings. Maybe it's time to stop opposing and to truly join in. I love Luke 19 verse 37 because it shows us why the true followers of Jesus were rejoicing in the first place. And I emphasized it and mentioned it a few minutes ago, but I want to read it again as he was drawing near verse 37. Already on the way down, 
the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples, they began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice. And I want you to see this. Don't miss this part because this is where the rubber meets the road. They rejoiced and they gave praise with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. They saw with their own eyes. They experienced with their own life the fact that Jesus changes everything. That's why they believed. My prayer for some of you who maybe haven't seen Jesus change a life around you or you haven't opened up your life to have him change yours, my prayer for you right now in this moment is the Holy Spirit would lead you to a place where you're sensitive to no- enough that when he's knocking, you will answer the door because I promise you, if you let Jesus in, as we just sang, if you let the light in, he will change you. And you can see the mighty works that he will do. That's how we go from death to life. Over these next few weeks, we're going to be talking about what it means to go from death to life and what it means to go from a place of scarcity to abundance and what it means to go from, you know, today, a fan to a follower. We're going to be talking about the exchange that happens when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. But it began with a man who took his first steps into Jerusalem on that Sunday that we call Palm Sunday because the crowd laid down the branches on the road. They threw their cloaks down at his feet. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, he knew that he had lived his life with the mission to die for you, for you, for each one of you, for me, for you who are out on the backstage patio, for you who are watching. He lived his life with the purpose of dying. You know, humanity has crowned many champions. We have coronated many a king. We have inaugurated many a president. We have venerated so many military leaders. We have rewarded many victors. But there's only been one savior, and he was put to death. And when he walked into Jerusalem, when he rode into Jerusalem, when he walked on that path to Bethany and Bethpage from the Mount of Olives, and when he rode into Jerusalem, he knew exactly what was going on. And he knew that his victory lied in his death. How about you? Are you a fan? Or are you a true follower of Jesus? You see, a move from fan to follower begins, first of all, just three points today, very quickly. It begins when you decide to put your trust in Jesus as your Savior. Have you done that? Have you decided to put your trust in Jesus to be your Savior? Have you decided to to accept his gift of free life when you die? John 3, 16. I know you know it. 
I know you probably memorized it. Those of you who haven't been in church in years, you know it. I, I get that. It's a very, very, very familiar verse. But I want you to think about these words that John penned, that Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he, what's that next word? He gave his only son that whoever, what's that next word? Believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Have you decided to follow Jesus yet? Have you put your faith in him yet? Whether you're part of the crowd or whether you're part of the opposition, Jesus is inviting you to put your faith in him. The one whose victory lied in death, the one whose victory, though, truly lied in death to life, as we'll talk about next week. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, the apostle Paul, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, writes about this eternal life, and he says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not as a result, or it's the gift, uh, 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 not a gift of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Have you put your faith in him alone for salvation? See, a move from fan to follower begins when you decide to put your trust in Jesus to be your Savior. But a move, secondly, from fan to follower continues when you publicly identify with Jesus through believers' baptism. All throughout Scripture, we find the very next thing that Jesus calls us to is to be publicly baptized as a believer. We see it over and over and over again that those who were saved, that those who chose to put their faith in Jesus to be their Savior, they followed. The next step was believer's baptism. My next step from salvation to baptism was a span of about, oh, about 17 years. That's a long next step. I'm a slow learner, all right? That's all right. Maybe some of you are like me and you're a slow learner, but I want to encourage you and challenge you wherever you are on that faith journey to follow in believer's baptism. Does it save you? No. Baptism does not do the saving. That work was done by Jesus on the cross. But it is a demonstration that you have moved from death to life. Romans 6, 4, kind of our key verse for this whole series. It says, we were buried. Again, the Apostle Paul speaking here. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live. That we might walk in newness of life. We practice baptism here at Hilton and Allen Community Church, um, but we practice believer's baptism. Now, I, I was baptized as a baby, um, but we here at Hilton and Allen Community Church, um, we dedicate babies to the Lord. That's something that we do. We dedicate the parents and the family and the babies to the Lord, but we believe in believer's baptism. That's when you uh, make the decision to follow in baptism. See, when Peter was preaching in Acts chapter 2, 
Peter, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That indicates to me that there was a choice in the matter, right? I was dedicated to the Lord as, as an infant. I don't know. I think I was about three or four months old. I didn't repent. <laughs> I, I didn't make the conscious choice. I was only three to four months old. But when I was 21 years old, I realized the depth of my faith and the, the depth of the meaning of my faith. And I chose to follow, and believe, follow in believer's baptism. And that's why we don't discount that, that dedication as a child. I believe that part of the reason that I'm in ministry today is because of my dedication. Because my parents and grandparents and people around me prayed for me. And I don't want to diminish that in your life, but I want to say to you, if you have been raised from death to life, why not follow in believer's baptism? We've got a baptismal um, orientation coming up, and you can see on the screen there, our baptism is Sunday, April 24th at 4 p.m. We go right down uh, where it is most public, and that's Caligny. And I love that because it says to the world, we have to clear out people from Ohio and Tennessee first. But once we do that, We say to the world, this is what we are choosing to do. And I want to encourage you to be a part of that if you have it. And lastly and finally and quickly, a move from fan to follower endures. It endures when the mission of your life aligns with Jesus' mission. More on that in upcoming weeks. Jesus said, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 6, 33. He says this, seek first his kingdom. Again, he comes back to that theme of kingdom. And all these things will be added unto you. My challenge to you today is if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you would do that. And I'm going to give you a chance in a moment to make that decision. And if you haven't followed in believer's baptism, that you would do that. I'm going to give you a chance in a moment. But being, moving from death to life requires something of us. The part of salvation that includes is all Jesus' work, but there is a part that is required from us. Kyle Ottelman in his book called Not a Fan, he said this, the biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. A day in 2010, I learned that my life would change. My soccer life would change. No big deal, right? But I became a follower of this club. I can't have that upside down. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember my friend's words on that email that day. And he said, your life's about to change. Some of you are listening. Some of you are back on the backstage patio. Some of you are here in the house. And your life is about ready to change. I want you to experience all the great things that being raised to life means. So would you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you for the, the true followers that were there that day in Jerusalem. God, I thank you so much for the crowd that was there. And although the crowd may have been chanting and cheering and singing 
for some of the wrong reasons. They were doing it nonetheless. And my guess is, is that there were more than just a few of them that at some point in time in their life decided to follow you. And right now, in the strong name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you lead those who are within the sound of my voice, who don't know you as their Savior, to accept Jesus, to become a follower right now in this moment. If you're here today or you're watching or maybe you're at back on the backstage patio and you've never decided to follow Jesus, I want to give you the chance right now. Being a, becoming a follower of Jesus may be difficult sometimes, but accepting the free gift of salvation is incredibly simple. Jesus says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he is Lord, then you'll be saved. And right now, I'm going to pray this prayer out loud as Cynthia plays. And I want to invite you, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, to do so right now. It's a prayer that goes something like this. God, thank you for making me. Thank you for bringing me to this point right now. And today I've realized something. And today I choose to trust in you as my Savior. Today I am deciding to become a follower of you, Jesus. Help me now to live for you. If you prayed that prayer with me or something like it to God and you meant it with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask you in the room, in the house here, just to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you back on the backstage patio or if you're um, at home watching this, whether you're with someone or by yourself, um, if you would just uh, let us know of your decision. Let us know of your decision. If you have your hand up, you can put it down here in the house. Let us know of your decision. Go online and fill out that connection card, but let us know that you've decided to follow Jesus. And for those of you who have never followed in believer's baptism, Father, I pray that you would prompt everyone within the sound of my voice who's never made that decision, that most important decision, to publicly proclaim that they are followers of you, God. I pray that you would reap a harvest of people who are true followers of you. God, I pray that over these next few weeks that you would challenge us what it means to be raised to life. As we've seen death and destruction and darkness all around us for the better part of a year and more, God, we need your breath of fresh air in our lives. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us in that place of abundance over these next few weeks. I pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen.